What is up, y'all? Kevin Kuhn here from Athlete Factors. This is the Athlete Factors podcast. And, y'all, it's been a crazy month. Basically, all of August has been rough for me. Um, A lot of of stuff starting up, cross-country season starting up, which is a ton of fun, but also some extra work. Um... Business is uh, is plugging along. It's my birthday month. Um, had the whole issue with the car. Um, it's been a crazy month, so I apologize for not having guests basically all this month. Um, I'm getting back on uh, on the guest train and getting new people. Uh, lined up. So sorry about that. But, um, I did want to start a series. I was planning on doing this since I had kind of done a series on my, uh, last book, my latest book, the self-reliant diet. Um, wanted to kick it a little old school and do a series on my first book, hormonal nutrition. So this is essentially uh, looking at nutrition or looking at improving body composition, decreasing fat mass, increasing lean tissue mass, losing weight, all of that through the lens of not tracking calories. So um, when you when you understand that, then some of the things that I uh, some of the ways I explain it hopefully will make a little more sense, but there's, there's always going to be the case where I will kind of step back and say, okay, but this only makes sense within the context of, are you in a calorie deficit or are you in a calorie surplus or are you at maintenance? So instead of just stopping every time and saying that, I'm kind of letting you know ahead of time. This book is this, the reason I wrote this book was to help out my clients specifically who didn't want to track. They didn't want to have anything to do with calories. And for some people, they still want to make changes, but like having a daily audit of everything that they eat and keeping track of the, the caloric load and, and the macronutrient goals and things like that um, can be difficult. So The best way that I knew, especially at the time, and I wrote this like 20, I started writing it in 2012, and I think I finished it up 2013. So it's almost a decade now. It's getting dated. Um, But I did uh, a year ago, a little, well, year and a half ago, um, when I self-published this and the self-reliant diet on Amazon Kindle, Kindle direct publishing, um, I did go through and try to update it. So as far as I know, uh, everything is fairly up to date, but if there is anything that y'all find problematic, please let me know. Um, I don't know everything. Um, but my goal is to pursue perfection and I know I'll, I won't get there, but hopefully I'll, uh, 
get pretty close to excellence somewhere along the way. So all that to say, I'm going to skip through the intro and the first two chapters, and we're going to jump right into the chapter on insulin. And so, yeah, if, uh, if you don't want me to read it to you, then please go buy it and then you can read it. <laughs> so away we go. Insulin. So, you know what, before I do that, this book covers, uh, again, the perspective is if you're not going to track your calories and macros, how can you make these changes? Uh, my theory, if you will, is that if you, like your hormones are dictating your metabolic rate primarily. So they're in the driver's seat. If you want to take control of that driver's seat position, then you need to understand A, what your hormones do, and then B, um, how they function and how they can manipulate your metabolic rate. And if you understand that and then understand how the foods we eat, the activities we do, and specific supplements that are available, how those three things can affect and manipulate your hormones, then you can essentially take that driver's seat back. So what we'll cover is what is the hormone, what does it do, how does it function, how can you manipulate it, and that's essentially the book. So chapter three of Hormonal Nutrition by yours truly, Insulin. I want to start by exploring the role and function that insulin plays in metabolism. Due to obesity, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes prevalence in the United States, insulin is typically given a bad rap. However, there's absolutely nothing inherently bad about insulin. Insulin is critical with regards to healthy bodily functioning, as well as necessary for increasing muscle size, strength, and performance. So for the next section, let us wipe the slate clean with regards to those things you've heard or read about insulin and take a look at the way it's supposed to function in metabolism. Insulin is a hormone that is produced by the pancreas. Its main job is to regulate how much glucose, blood sugar, is circulating in the blood at any given time and deliver glucose to cells, specifically muscle and fat cells. Though there are a few different roles that insulin plays in the body's immune system, brain function, and with other organ functions, we'll focus on its role in muscle and adipose tissue, adipose tissue being fat. After you eat a meal, for example, digested carbohydrates are broken down into sugar that then enters your bloodstream. That sugar is glucose. This causes your blood glucose concentration to go up. When the body notices this is happening, it signals part of the pancreas to produce and secrete insulin, which then travels to specific spots or doors along muscle cells. These muscle cells need glucose for fuel. The problem is that glucose can't flow in and out of muscle cells whenever it wants, with the exception of post-training. That tends to be a little easier, but that's an aside. Uh, there are doors that can only be opened by a key insulin to let glucose into the cell. So insulin acts as a gatekeeper to allow glucose to exit the blood and enter muscle cells, as well as your liver and fat cells, so it can be used as fuel. 
without insulin, it would be challenging for the body to refill the muscle's gas tank. So now we can discuss why insulin has such a bad reputation. I'd like for you to think about what happens when you put gas in your car. What happens when the tank is full? The pump should automatically shut off, right? Well, when the muscle's gas tank is full, any extra glucose in the blood is sent to adipose tissue and is stored as fat. I like to describe glucose as high-intensity fuel and fat as lower-intensity fuel. The human body can't store much high-intensity fuel, so as soon as the tanks are full, the body starts to convert the sugar to lower-intensity fuel. Again, this all works within the context of calorie surplus, calorie maintenance, calorie deficit. Where you exist on that spectrum will determine how much of that carbohydrate is stored as fat and how much is stored as glucose or converted to glycogen, things like that. So remember, we're looking at all of this through the lens of you're not tracking. And if you're not tracking, you're probably in a calorie surplus. Unless you're an athlete, in which case you're probably in a calorie deficit. So back to it. So weight gain from fat occurs when there's a consistent overload of carbohydrates in the diet with a lack of high-intensity activity to empty the muscle cell's fuel tank. The consistent overload of carbohydrates causes a massive spike in the concentration of glucose in the blood. The pancreas has to pump out an appropriate amount of insulin to open the fuel tank door. But the fuel tanks are full, so insulin cannot do its job adequately. The glucose in the blood cannot stay there, so it slowly makes its way to adipose tissue, where it goes through chemical processes to be stored as fat. As this occurs more often and over time, the body assumes more insulin is needed to get the sugar out of the blood, so the pancreas produces more insulin. But the issue is not a matter of the amount of insulin. The problem is that there's too much glucose in the blood, which is there because of too much carbohydrate in the diet or not enough physical activity. This is where insulin resistance comes into play. The body becomes progressively less sensitive to the amount of insulin that is produced. The whole process is kind of like the boy who cried wolf. The brain says, there's too much glucose in the blood. We need insulin to get rid of it. So the pancreas makes more insulin. Then it happens again at the next meal, and the next meal, and so on. In the, case, in the case of type 2 diabetes, the pancreas gets so exhausted from pumping out so much insulin that it cannot keep up with the demand signals from the brain, so it begins to make less insulin. When the body gets to this point, the brain cries wolf when the blood glucose level gets to a certain point, but the pancreas is too tired from all the previous wolf cries, so it cannot function to produce enough insulin. Some cases of this situation result in sugar or diabetic coma. That's one end of the spectrum, but I want you to know the step-by-step -step outworking so you can prevent it, and regardless of where you are on the spectrum, begin moving towards back towards a healthy insulin sensitivity level. Another issue related to this thing called insulin resistance is that insulin not only stores fat in adipose, in adipose tissue, but its presence also prevents other hormones from doing their job of releasing stored fat so it can be used as fuel. So the overproduction of insulin not only increases the amount of fat you gain, but it also limits how much fat you can use. I'd be lying if I explained that only carbohydrates cause an insulin response. Amino acids, the building blocks of protein, are also known to cause the production and secretion of insulin from the pancreas. 
These are called insulinogenic uh, amino acids, which is why you can be on a ketogenic diet, eat some protein, and get kicked out of ketosis. That's an aside. That's not in the book. Anyway, even if or when amino acids cause insulin spikes com uh, comparable to carbohydrate-induced spikes, I have yet to see any data showing that high-protein diets cause insulin resistance. In fact, high-protein diets typically result in returning some level of insulin sensitivity to the body. I do not know where you are along the spectrum of insulin resistance, but I do know that if you're trying to lose fat or trying to increase muscle mass or performance, increasing the body's sensitivity to insulin is a great place to start. The first thing to do to increase insulin sensitivity is to decrease the degree or amount of glucose above normal in the blood, especially following a meal. This is accomplished by reducing the kinds of food in your diet that cause spikes or significant increases in blood glucose, such as high glycemic uh, carbohydrates and sugars. By reducing the types of food that spike blood sugar, there's less demand on the pancreas to produce insulin. If you do not know where a specific food is rated on the glycemic index chart, go to glycemicindex.com. The University of Sydney set up this website as the home of the glycemic index and is a great place to learn about how different foods affect blood glucose differently. The next thing to do is get some exercise. If you get the body moving and do some high-intensity activity, you'll use high-intensity fuel and thus empty the muscle's gas tank. When the glucose gas tank is empty, the body has to find fuel from some other source, like fat. And insulin can do its job of opening the, the tank door to replace high-intensity fuel. Depending on the duration and type of exercise, among a few other things, the body will either begin to tap into stored fat, which is ideal, or it will break down muscle to convert it to high-intensity fuel. Not really ideal. So again, a little bit of an aside. If you eat a higher carbohydrate diet, you'll store more carbohydrate as fuel if you eat more. But you'll also use more carbohydrate as a source of fuel. If you eat more fat, like a ketogenic diet, you will utilize more fat as a source of fuel. So you may end up storing less because you're using it more. However, at the end of the day, energy balance. So if you are eating more fat, but you're in a calorie deficit, you'll end up expending more calories and you'll burn you'll burn more fat and you'll lose weight. If you're in a calorie deficit from eating a ton of carbohydrates, you'll still lose weight. At the end of the day, it comes down to calorie balance. Again, we're looking at this through the lens of not calories. So the severity of insulin resistance and intensity of physical activity should dictate the amount, timing, and type of blood glucose spiking carbohydrates in your diet. So the general rule of thumb when it comes to increasing insulin sensitivity or decreasing fat mass is this. The more sugar in your diet, the more weight and body composition issues you will probably have. There are some things you can supplement or add to your diet to improve the function of insulin. Research has shown that adding cinnamon, approximately 3 to 6 grams, to your diet every day can decrease the amount of glucose in the blood following a meal, as well as decrease fasting levels of insulin. Although there is no complete consensus on the issue, some research, some research shows that ingesting two teaspoons of vinegar, acetic acid, 
immediately before or during a carbohydrate-rich meal may have an anti-glycemic, which means limits the severity of blood, sp of blood spike of glucose and thus the amount of insulin-produced properties, but only when the carbohydrates are complex in nature. In other words, downing a spoonful of vinegar before eating a big pasta dinner may help reduce the severity of a blood glucose spike and thus an insulin spike, but the vinegar will not be helpful if ingested right before you pound a candy bar with some soda. A relatively old face in the supplement industry is magnesium. It can be a useful supplement when taken for at least six months at decreasing fasting blood glucose as well as improving insulin sensitivity. ALA, or alpha-lipoic acid, is an essential fatty acid that functions to reduce oxidative stress and damage that occurs during carbohydrate and glucose metabolism. As the body converts carbohydrates into usable glucose energy for individual cells, inflammatory byproducts are also produced. ALA works as an antioxidant to neutralize and scavenge these free radicals. Supplementing with ALA has been shown to not only improve insulin sensitivity, but also reduce inflammation in individuals with metabolic syndrome. Some research has even found that supplemental ALA can lower LDL cholesterol. Recent breakthroughs in vitamin D research have found it to be a significant player in glucose metabolism and insulin resistance. There's a correlation between individuals with vitamin D deficiency and insulin resistance, and it's now understood that many of the pathways that regulate insulin's role in metabolism and immune function are directly controlled by vitamin D. The more research on vitamin D supplementation is necessary to determine the exact role it plays, vitamin D is becoming a popular supplement for many, for many individuals who are trying to improve their body composition and health. Other foods or ingredients in, in specific foods, such as bitter melon, steviaside, garlic, onion, ginseng, fenugreek, and gymnema sylvestre, have been shown to have specific effects on either insulin sensitivity or other aspects of metabolic syndrome. One of the significant issues with these particular foods is palatability. Bitter melon specifically can be pretty, can be a pretty unpleasant thing to have to eat consistently. For this reason, attempts are being made to put the active ingredients from these foods into other forms that are less stressful on the taste buds. Though some supplements may help improve insulin resistance for individuals who have diabetes, this does not mean they will be helpful for those who do not have diabetes. Chromium, for example, has been used as a treatment for insulin resistance in individuals with diabetes. However, research shows that supplementing chromium in non-obese, non-diabetic individuals found it actually made their body more resistant to the effects of insulin. It's now understood that other hormones play a role in how insulin functions. Fixing the levels of adiponectin and leptin, which are typically less than optimal in overweight individuals, result in a shift towards normal insulin function. And those two uh, hormones will be covered later in this uh, series. One more thing that is extremely important to discuss with insulin sensitivity is the sugar fructose. Fructose in and of itself is different from most other types of sugar because it does not cause insulin release into the bloodstream, nor does it cause leptin release from fatty tissue. Due to this specific characteristic, fructose has a much higher chance of being stored as fat. Since it does not signal the insulin response, it does not have the chance to be transported to the muscle to be stored as high-intensity fuel, and is therefore much more likely to go right to fatty tissue and stored as fat. 
ingested fructose is absorbed in the small intestine and then transported to the liver. The liver converts it into a form that can be used by the body. However, this usable form is not under the control or influence of insulin or other carbohydrate metabolic enzymes. Without the regulatory role of insulin and other enzymes, fructose can increase the amount of very low-density lipoprotein, or VLDL, a type of LDL cholesterol, in the blood, which in turn increases the total amount of triglycerides in the blood. <clears throat> when there's an overload of triglycerides in the blood, known as hypertriglyceridemia, the body tries to normalize tri triglyceride levels by dispositing Wow. Depositing some of the triglycerides into visceral fatty tissue, which is abdominal fat or fat that surrounds your internal organs, which leads to an increase in abdominal fat mass. The increase in abdominal fat causes an overload of triglycerides in the liver. This overload of triglycerides in the liver decreases the liver's sensitivity to insulin. When the liver becomes resistant to insulin, the production of VLDL goes up even more. The increased production of VLDL in the blood results in more considerable, in a more considerable amount of triglycerides being sent to muscle tissue. This increased concentration of total triglycerides being sent uh, causes havoc to healthy carbohydrate metabolism and moves the body's metabolism from being locally insulin resistant at the liver to globally insulin resistant at the muscle. The consumption of fat has a similar metabolic response in that it does not elicit an insulin response either. However, this should not be an argument for low-fat diets, since specific kinds of fat are necessary for normal body functioning and health. As briefly mentioned above, fructose does not elicit an insulin response, nor does it trigger the leptin response, which will be discussed later. The quick assumption is that one should remove all fructose from their diet to prevent this insulin and leptin resistance. However, Fructose is rarely ingested by itself. Unless you're eating only agave nectar, which can be as high as 99% fructose, this may not be a real issue. Fructose by itself may be a severe problem. Probably not. But even high fructose corn syrup is not all fructose. In fact, high fructose corn syrup is not that different from sucrose, which is table sugar. Both are about half fructose and half glucose. Currently, there does not exist any definitive evidence that shows high fructose corn syrup is any worse for you than regular sugar. So do not be fooled by products that are naturally sweetened using agave nectar or whatever, something that's high in fructose. They may, just, they may be just as unhealthy for you as products sweetened with high fructose corn syrup. The issue comes down to how many added sugars or refined carbohydrates you eat consistently. Too many natural sweeteners will probably cause insulin resistance just as high fructose corn syrup. Again, if you're in a calorie surplus, that's the case. The other side of the insulin coin is the fact that it is considered to be the most anabolic of hormones. The reason it is given this title is that for muscle growth, increases in strength, or other desired changes within the muscle cells to occur, insulin is still the gatekeeper. Muscle growth occurs due to a cause and effect chain where all links in the chain have to be connected for the result to occur. Insulin and the receptors on muscle cells that insulin connects to are links in this metabolic chain, so understanding how to improve insulin sensitivity as well as when to elicit an insulin response is vital for improving body composition, decreasing fat mass, and increasing muscle mass. So, the bottom line, I like to 
get bullet points for people who think the chapters are too boring or too long. Bottom line, to improve insulin sensitivity, get up off the couch and exercise consistently. Reduce the amount of carbohydrates in your diet. Increase the amount of cinnamon and vinegar in your diet, especially before high complex carbohydrate meals. Supplement with magnesium if you are deficient. Supplement with ALA if you believe that will help. And supplement with vitamin D, again, if you are deficient. So that is the chapter on insulin. So I probably should have mentioned this before, but everyone should know I am not a doctor. And the things that I write in this book are suggestions that you can consider by are by no means uh, recommendations. So take everything with a grain of salt. Obviously, I'm trying to condense what the research is, but at the end of the day, um, if you don't know, you should talk with your doctor. You should talk with a dietitian. Um, you should talk with a sports nutritionist and figure out kind of what some of these, uh, some of the best options are. And at the end of the day, like exercise, everybody should be doing that. So that is the chapter on insulin. That's our episode today. Thanks for watching and or listening. And if you guys have any questions specifically about insulin, please feel free to ask. And, uh, yeah. We'll break this up so that it's not every single week we're going through the book. But, um, yeah, we'll try to dig through this. And, yeah, if y'all have any feedback, again, please let me know. If there's something I got wrong, let me know. Um, would love to make it better. If there's ways to make it better, I want to do that. So, all right, y'all, thanks again, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Adios.